Welcome to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. Did you know that listeners like you are helping to make these podcasts possible? Let us know that our podcasts are important to you by showing your support today. Visit stjosemaria.org slash give. Today on the podcast, Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, contemplates St. John's definition of God as infinite self-giving love and how the more we willingly give of ourselves, the more we can experience the heart of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for The theme of our prayer this morning is sharing in Christ's self-emptying. We ask you, Lord, who presides over this time of prayer, to enlighten us with a spirit of conversion that involves a twofold grace, an enlightenment to the mind on God's will for me, and a nudge to the heart to follow that light. And in case I lull people to sleep, the reason why we need to contemplate Jesus' self-emptying because God is defined by the Holy Spirit through St. John as infinite self-giving love. And the more we willingly give of ourselves, the more we experience the heart of Christ, because Christ is the incarnation of self-giving love. The first meditation is on self-denial. We are at the doorway of Lent, so probably that's why the topic selected is self-denial. And the second meditation is where self-denial and the cross take on its fullest meaning, and that is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So those are the two meditations. Let's read words of Jesus, and as we read it, let's reflect on the miracle of the Gospel. The Gospel is very unique because every time you read it, it's more pertinent, more relevant. Upstairs, I was in my quarters, sitting in a living room. And in that living room was a book bookcase. I can't resist bookcases, especially if they have books in it. Not that I am an intellectual. I just like to look at titles of books and sometimes read them. 
And I noticed one book that looked very new, and I presume it's probably not that new, but it looked new, fresh cover, crisp pages. And the title of that book is Plato's Republic, written about four centuries before Christ. And I'm morally certain that hardly anybody, probably no one who has lived in those quarters, has picked up that book to read. <laughs> Even though it's an eternal ancient classic, you'll only read it if you pay big money to go to college and you're assigned that reading. And why doesn't someone pick up this classic? I would say the short version would be it's not pertinent. It's about ancient Greek politics. Fine, if I have to read it to pass my course, I'll do it. But I'm not going to relax and open up Plato's Republic and read about politics 400 years before Christ, because it's not relevant. It's extremely passé. But the gospel's different. The gospel's always pertinent. And let's ask this question, pose this question to our Lord, because any topic of prayer should always be connected with spreading the gospel. It's enlightening to reflect on the fact that Jesus' absolute last words, and I'll quote St. Mark because St. Mark quotes homilies given by St. Peter in Rome, preach the gospel to every creature, just drives home the fact that Jesus wants this gospel preached to everybody. How this fact has hibernated for so many centuries. Whereas in the infant church, this was front and center in the minds and hearts of the followers of Christ, especially the laity, who had that heightened awareness that it was up to them to spread the gospel in their families, in their places of work. We asked the question, Lord, how do I spread the gospel in the 21st century? Here in Kansas City, I notice people are especially friendly and cheerful and kind. Not that you only find it here, but I am struck by the friendliness of the people here. I'm a city boy, so perhaps uh, encountering a wholesomeness without much of an edge is a luxury to me. But I think even here, we notice that we're not in a Christian culture. 
We open up the newspaper. We talk to even family members, co-workers. And we notice that many opinions, many beliefs, many aspects of American lifestyle radically contradicts the message of Jesus. In fact, it's, don't leave, I don't want to leave you depressed, but we'll rally with optimism in a few moments. <laughs> but it's so bad that when you try to proclaim the truth, they will admit that you are logically correct, but they don't care. I remember many years ago teaching moral theology to high school students. And I was kind of enthused about getting them ready to defend natural law and the moral teachings of the church in the universities that they would attend, generically called atheist university or College of Agnosticism, or the University of Moral Relativism. So I try to get them trained using original documents like uh, the document on life, Evangelium Vitae, Openness to Life, Humane Vitae, Veritati Splendor, and I was bound and determined to get these kids prepared. And uh, it's a little bit of a learning curve because I'd have a young lady come in front of the class, 25 in front of her classmates, and to defend the teachers of the church, and her classmates would, would take the role of your typical student in athe atheist university and attack the teachings of the church and try to stump the person professing the teachings of the church. And she would have to come with cogent answers. Anyway, I had to refine it a little bit because the first two girls were reduced to tears. <laughs> so we had to kind of uh, smooth the rough edges of the audience, reminding both parties this is to help each other get prepared. It's not you don't, you're not supposed to make the other person cry. Um, so anyway, I was enthused, and a few months later, during Christmas vacation, I asked them, did you get into any conversations? And they said, yes, but we're terribly disappointed, and I reacted. I said, what do you mean, terribly disappointed? You, you got good preparation. I mean, you, you did very well in explaining. He said, no, we did very well, but my friends don't care. No matter what I say, I'm not going to change their ways. And they even would admit, yeah, you're right, but I'm still going to stick to my position. I don't care. And so they were a bit discouraged. What does that tell us? We have to use the original catechism of the gospel. And what is that catechism? It's the new commandment. Notice Jesus didn't give the apostles a body of doctrine, 
doctrine is essential, but to whet people's appetite to want to know the truth, step number one, especially in a pagan world, is to give people an experience of the kindness and joy of Christ, as our Holy Father indicates in his document, The Gospel of Joy. And it's no accident that Jesus is introduced as good news of great joy. And so I need to introduce Jesus in this vessel of clay that we carry within us, this good news of great joy. And so I want to read this passage. You're probably saying, when are you going to get to self-denial? Well, we'll get to it. I guess I'm stalling because of the topic. <laughs> so here goes. Now there were certain Gentiles. Even this word's important. Gentile is someone who is unfamiliar with the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. You could almost make a case that probably they're into moral relativism, at least out of ignorance, Gentiles. They don't have the natural law spelled out like the chosen people. Now, there were certain Gentiles among those who had gone up to worship on the feast. These therefore approached Philip. Philip is a Greek name who was from Bethsaida of Galilee. Galilee was close to Gentile territory. And asked him, saying, these words, before I articulate them, are pretty standard, but they represent a very profound desire. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's the cry of the Gentiles. That is the cry of the citizens of our culture, of this post-Christian culture. We wish to see Jesus. Juxtaposed to this pagan culture, just by way of example, are these World Youth Days. Three popes have been involved with World Youth Days. One off the charts in terms of intellectual acumen and pastoral capacity, and that's St. John Paul. Another one who is more reserved and more academic and more scholarly. Another one who is extremely pastoral, graced with tremendous pastoral capacity. All three have attracted millions of kids. Kids who academically are unfamiliar with the tenets of Christianity. And I can never forget that one world youth day, which drives home this point, sir, we wish to see Jesus, at John Paul's last world youth day. And I remember the sequence of events, 
was always very similar. The press in Canada said this is going to be a disaster uh, because now he can't talk and he drools over his papers and he's completely contorted. You could hardly make out what he's saying. Why don't they hide him somewhere because this is a bit of an embarrassment for the church given his advanced Parkinson's and his old age. In fact, he has to go rest for a couple of days on this island in Lake Ontario before he delivers his address. And then the newspaper says that these young people are used to movie stars and sports heroes and action heroes and audiovisual imagery and social media, all that. And over a million people came, and again, the press expresses tremendous surprise. Now they couldn't blame it on being a good actor or charismatic because he was literally drooling on his paper. And the kids were just brimming with enthusiasm and joy. And I know, because a youth group came back, and I asked them, how was it? They said it was incredible. I said, and I asked, what did he say? We don't know. We couldn't make out what he was saying. I said, well, why did you like it so much? I was trying to get material for preaching. Uh, why did you like it so much? He said, because of him, because of his presence. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew's another Greek name, Andrew and Philip spoke to Jesus. But they say, Jesus, there's a bunch of Greeks who want to see you. And Jesus said, aha, this is a teaching moment. But Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What is our Lord saying? This is the optimum moment to evangelize. And a very similar moment then to the moments we experience now. He's going to cut these disciples loose into a violent, hedonistic world where the gospel is foreign. And if it's introduced, it's going to be rejected. And there's going to be reactions of violence and repugnance, but not totally. And so Jesus says, this is the hour for me. St. John Paul says, that we are, a new, we are in a new springtime of Christianity. And maybe our natural reaction is, St. John Paul, have you ever watched the news? Have you ever mingled with the crowds and asked about their stories? What do you mean we're in a new springtime? At least in terms of Transmitting the gospel, perhaps we are in a cold spell or global cooling. And what does this mean that we're in a new springtime? That as long as one person wants to follow Christ heroically, we're in a new springtime because Jesus wins the game through holiness. 
He doesn't win the game through mass mailings or demonstrations or rallying to causes, even though this is important. It's through holiness. Notice what Jesus says that, you know, don't look for telltale signs of the kingdom out there. Don't look for it in an annual report. It's behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So what does Jesus say when, when the apostles ask him, there is, would you be willing to see these Gentiles who want to see you? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And as practical Americans, we grapple onto this answer. What does this fruitfulness mean? This attracting other people to Christ. I need to be that grain of wheat. Very profound image, because the grain of wheat potentially is Jesus Christ. In what sense? And why does it have to die? Because the grain of wheat, you, you, know, you plant it into the soil, and it, it's a symbol of death, but it grows and gives off more kernels. And the kernels need to be ground down into flour. And the flour has to be transformed into dough. And the dough has to be transformed into bread. And then the bread is transformed into the Holy Eucharist. So Jesus is saying, you must be that Christ whom the Gentiles are looking for. And they will accept Christ to the degree that you are Christ. Not to the degree that you moralize or to the degree that you just give right answers or to the degree that you, are, you profess certain good causes. Doesn't mean that we neglect those other aspects of being a Christian. But what's at the heart of evangelization is that I put on the face of Christ. St. John Paul is the one who coined that phrase, new evangelization. And he says the essential aspect of this new evangelization is to have that face of Christ. And so I need to die to myself. In what sense? Well, I'm looking at my watch and so far haven't gotten into any nitty-gritty of self-denial. But I'd like to touch on one capital sin. There's seven of them. I don't mean to hurt feelings. You all are very nice. But the, the church teaches, you know, I just, I'm just an employee here. The church teaches that we have seven capital sins and that, you know, all of us have it. They're the effects of original sin, my wounded nature, is characterized by seven bad inclinations. 
anger, pride, gluttony, in envy, lust, laziness, avarice. And I want to just touch on laziness, spiritual laziness. How can I be that grain of wheat? And I need to always look at this. This is not a, this self-denial is not about me. It's about my family and my friends, and anybody I meet. I, I, I want to give people that face of Christ. And Jesus says that you need to become like me. You need to deny yourself. Why don't I spend more time in prayer? And I would say it's usually because of spiritual laziness. I mean, there's goodwill, but I never get, you know, some profound theological reason why someone doesn't pray. If I cut corners, it's not because of any profound theological reasons either. What are they? What are some of these reasons that hold us back from being a grain of wheat? One comment. Well, I'm, I can't get up in the morning because I need to decompress at night and I get a hold of a, of a book that doesn't require too much intellectual engagement and before I know it, it's in the, I'm, it's in the middle of the night or in the wee hours in the morning and I have to wake up for work and I don't have time to pray or to go to Mass. A lot of times that's the reason. Or I'm just going to bed too late, I can't say no, there's always one more thing to do, and I just can't go to bed on time. That is legitimate self-denial. And St. Jose Maria talks about the heroic minute. Well, in our busy schedule, it's not a question of practicing sleep deprivation, but it is, a it is a question of, okay, Lord, you're going to come first, and so I need to practice some areas of self-denial. Yeah, I would like to have the luxury to stay up as late as I want, but if I'm going to come before you in the Blessed Sacrament before Mass and then go to Mass, I need to wake up at a set time. Or... I want to say the rosary, I want to do spiritual reading. And what do I need to do? If I'm going to do it, because it's not like going to a pizza party, prayer is always, we want to do it, but it's tedious. We don't see the Lord. We've got to focus our attention. We've we got to give our heart. It takes struggle. I need to live what we call here a heroic minute, for example, in mental prayer, 5 o'clock, that's my designated time, 5 o'clock it is. Why don't I do it? Well, the news. Or I'm gonna, I gotta just check one more email. Or I've gotta look at, I've gotta make one more phone call. Or there's some chore I need to get done. I need to tell our Lord, Lord, I'm gonna commit myself and take little baby steps in making you the center of my life, and I'm going to put my prayer life front and center because my prayer life is a service to my family. 
because that will determine whether when they ask, I want to see Jesus, I don't just want right answers, in my friend, in my mom, in my spouse, I want to see Christ. I'll be it in a vessel of clay, but I want to see Christ. I want to see the joy of Christ. Because the new evangelization, in many instances, involves what is the reason for the hope that is within you? What makes you tick? Why are you joyful? Why are you loving? And hence, Jose, St. Jose Maria says, do everything for love, in that way, there will be no little things. Everything will be big. Perseverance in the little things for love is heroism. A little act done for love is worth so much. That's what made St. Therese of Lisieux a doctor of the church. That's the kind of love she gave to our Lord. Set time to pray, not putting our Lord off. And mortifying the discouragement or the pride, you you know, sleep in the prayer, get distracted, make an act of contrition, begin again. But I think that may be one point, and we could finish, where I could be that grain of wheat struggling against that spiritual laziness so that I am consistent with my good desires, that there's concrete resolutions that I fulfill because of this desire to be holy. Mary, we put our sentiments in your hands. Help us concretize how we could be that grain of wheat so that I could satisfy the longings of those around me to see Jesus Christ. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for Thank you for listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. For more resources and podcasts like this one, go to stjosemaria.org. That is stjosemaria.org.